0: okay we'll just pray thank you father that uh there's comfort for us in you that there there's strength for us in you i just thank you lord that uh, you haven't left us to be strong ourselves you haven't left us alone um when we feel weak but that you're you're with us to uphold our lives to to fill us with your strength to cause us to overcome everything that tries to come against us in this world. I just thank you, Father, that, um, man, the compassion in your heart be put clearly on display today, that the grace that's in your hand be put clearly on display today, Lord, that we just find ourselves filled with your mercy and filled with your grace as we walk through this world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. The name of the message is help. (laughs) Has anybody ever felt like that? Like, help, like SOS, right? Um, And I think uh, more of us, I don't want to say more of us, all of us have felt that. All of us have felt that we needed help. And some of us are more stubborn than others, like me. And so for a long time, I don't need no help. I'm one of those guys, right, where I don't, nah, I'm good. I'm going to sort it out myself. So I really get off into the pit before I, I scream for help. Um, but the the name of the message is is help, um, and you'll you'll probably see why I I titled that by the time we get to the end. At the beginning, you might think, what does this have to do with help? Because what I want to look at today is is resisting sin, and I want to look at what that's all about, and I want to look at where we find strength to resist sin, or how we find ourselves to be resisting sin. And I know a lot of you guys in this church have heard me define sin a bunch of times. And so you might already be connecting there. Um but I for those of you that haven't thought of of the definition um for sin, you 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 might get a new definition today, right? And so we 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 read verses um like Hebrews 12:1 that says, "Wherefore, seeing we are surrounded Um, are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside every weight. Do you know what the weight is? I mean, we we just run through that. We don't even think about what the weight is that he's talking about. Let us lay aside every weight. Well, he's talking to people that had a weight on them. And you know what the weight they had on them was? They were trying to perfect themselves from sin. They were trying to cleanse themselves from sin. That was the weight they were carrying. And I know we come from a Christian world, guys. When we think of sin, we think of doing a bad behavior. We think of trying to be cleansed from being bad little boys or bad little girls because we did one of the thou shalt nots. But when it talks about the weight of trying to perfect yourself from sin, it's talking about trying to cleanse yourself from death. I promise you that's a heavy weight. If you are carrying the burden of trying to perfect, perfect your life from death <laughs> all of us have felt that weight all of us have encountered death in our life lack weakness tribulation and we've all felt the desire for that thing to be perfected right and we've all felt the weight that we've picked up trying to perfect our life from the tribulation from the corruption that's in this world that's what it's talking about when it says Laying aside every weight sin as we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses that can testify of the Lord Jesus and the faith that was revealed in the Lord Jesus seeing we have all these things that testify to us of the strength that's contained in Jesus of the grace that manifested in Jesus of the mercy that we see revealed about God's heart for us in the face of Jesus seeing we have all that let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us And let us run with the patience, the race that is set before us. That's Hebrews 12.1. That's one of the verses we get resisting sin from, right? Then we get James 4.7, and it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Again, when we think of resisting the devil, we think of resisting doing something bad. (laughs) That's what we think of resisting of. The devil doesn't ever tempt you to do something bad. The devil tempts you to take up your own life. And when you take up your own life, I promise you that's when bad's coming forth. Right? And so we can read verses that talk about resisting the devil, um, you know, resisting the sin that so easily besets us. And we can read those verses, and if we don't see those verses in their proper context, if we don't rightly divide the word of truth, we can go away thinking resisting sin is about using your willpower to not do something bad. And then we're not not laying aside the weight, (laughs) every weight. I mean, we're picking up a very heavy weight in that moment. And we can look at it and think that's what resisting sin is, and then we go off to experience a life that's built upon our willpower. Right. Well, we're judging ourselves by our ability to resist sin. And then we think God's judging us by our ability to resist sin. But guys, the resisting of sin is a passive action. Does everybody know what I mean when I say a passive action? Because it sounds almost like a contradiction or an oxymoron. How could you have a, a passive action? And so what I mean by a passive action is that something else is doing the work something else is performing a work in you and you're the beneficiary of the work so you're not doing the work but you're benefiting from the work right and in our society it's very much like the concept of passive income that's like a catchphrase with the millennials and in society today generating lots of revenue streams passive income right and so the the, the concept of passive income you're the beneficiary of something that is working on your behalf to earn you income. Something else is producing income and you're just benefiting from it. Well, it's the same way with resisting sin. You don't resist sin. In fact, you don't possess the ability to resist sin. And we'll get into why that's the case, but it's the grace of God that resists sin in us. We don't resist sin ourselves. God gives birth to himself in us and then he resists on our behalf. That's how it works. That's what it looks like, right? And so if if you think you have to resist the sin, do you know what you're looking at? Yourself. You know what you're carrying? A heavy weight trying to perfect your life from injustices, trying to perfect your life from lack, trying to perfect your life from tribulation. But if you see that it's God that resists sin in you, do you know who you're looking at? Him. You're not looking at yourself. You know what happens when your eyes get fixed on the God that resists sin is you find him born in you and you find him resisting on your behalf. And then you find yourself the beneficiary of his work to resist sin, right? Of his work to perfect you from death, which is what it means to be, to, to resist sin. And so if you look at Paul, the apostle Paul says that he labored more abundantly than them all. You guys remember that quote? He says he labored more abundantly than all the other apostles. But there's not a period at the end of him saying that. He goes on to explain the laboring. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God was laboring in me. He goes on to describe it a different way when he says that he lives his life in this world by the faith of the Son of God. He says it's no longer I that living, it's Christ that's living in me. He could say the same thing. I'm not resisting sin. My eyes are fixated on the faith that was revealed in Jesus. And that is resisting sin in me. That's why he said he lived his life in the world by the faith of the son of God, by the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ. I'm walking in this world with my eyes fixated on the faith that is Jesus Christ. And that is animating me with the grace of God and the grace of God is working in me. And I'm a spectator. Listen, if you're actually doing the work to produce peace and love and joy, if you're actually doing the work to produce a good life, listen, you're not really able to enjoy the life. But if someone else is building you a good life or has built you a good life and you're just participating and experiencing their good work, listen, man, it's nice being a spectator. And so Paul's much laboring was a passive action. I mean, he says, I was out there doing more than everyone, all the other apostles combined. But it was a passive action that was going on in Paul. It wasn't his own strength that was doing the work. He was the beneficiary of God working in him. Right. And so that's the foundation from where we're going to look at resisting sin, that it's God who resists sin so that our eyes get fixated on God and not on ourselves. Because I promise you, there's no strength in you to resist sin. And you'll see why when we get to the end. God's the only one who has the strength to resist sin. And so if you want to find yourself having resisted the sin that so easily besets us, right, in the day of temptation, you want your eyes to be fixated on God. Glory to God. So Hebrews 4, this is where we're going to take most all of our stuff. We're going to take it from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right? So when guys, when we're experiencing the infirmity, the weakness that comes from being clothed in perishable flesh, you want to know why you feel weakness? I mean, some people want to know, why do I even feel weakness? Do you know why you feel weakness? Because you've got a body that's perishable. A perishable body can feel weakness. And so when, when we are experiencing the, the infirmity that comes from being clothed in a perishable body and that comes from walking in a world that is shadowed by death, what we find in God is a compassionate kindness towards us. That's what we find in God, right? And so in that place where we're beset with weakness and we're we're feeling pressed in on, man, what we need is compassion and what we need is grace. And we find that in God. There's strength for you when you're feeling weakness in the presence of God. There's comfort for your affliction in the presence of God. Everything that you need for your life is contained in the presence of God right? That's what that verse is saying. And so verse 16 says, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Now, when is the time of need? When is the time of need? Always. (laughs) When is the time of need? And so I want to connect a bunch of these things. So we're going to do some Bible study today. The time of need that Hebrews 4 talks about is when we are being tempted. That's the time of need. And again, we're going to blow up your concept of temptation because it talks about the temptation common to man in the letter to the Hebrews. It says Jesus was tempted every which way we were tempted. Right. Well, if you sit with the concept that temptation means Well, I'm a man, so I'll just use an example as a man. Growing up as a man, listen, man, sometimes you were tempted to uh, lay with a woman, right? If that's how you define temptation, and then you come and say Jesus was tempted every which way like I was, then that would mean Jesus also wanted to lay with a woman. Well, Jesus said if you thought it in your head, you've done it, which would make Jesus a sinner under that definition of temptation. So that's not the temptation. That's common to human beings. That's not what it's talking about. Because if Jesus thought he wanted to lay with the woman, that means he would be a sinner already. And so he was confronted with every temptation that we've all felt. Right. And it will help you. You'll actually find mercy and grace in your time of need, just in understanding these things properly, because you'll see the Lord with you. Right. And so the time of need that that Hebrews 4 is talking about is when we're being tempted. And when we're being tempted is when we feel weakness. When we feel lack, when we encounter tribulation in the earth, when we feel that an injustice has been committed against us, that's the time of need. That's when you're in need. That's when you're in need of God resisting in you. That's when you're in need of the mercy that's in God, the compassion that's in his heart. That's when you're in need of the grace that's contained in the Lord. That's when you're in need of it, right? That's when we need God. That's when we're being tempted. And you know what we're being tempted to do when we feel weakness, when we feel lack, when we encounter tribulation? When we experience injustice in this world. Do you know what we're being tempted to do? Perfect our own lives from sin. And again, back to the definition of sin. I'm not talking about perfecting your life from bad behavior. I'm talking about perfecting your life from the injustice that's come upon you. I'm talking about perfecting your life from the tribulation you've encountered. I'm talking about perfecting your life from the hell that's come to your house. You're being tempted to take up your own life. You're being tempted to try to sanctify yourself from the corruption you see going on. That's what weakness tempts you to do. You don't like feeling weak. You say this weakness isn't right. Then you look out and you see the thing that's causing you the weakness. And you're being tempted to make it straight. You're being tempted to enlist your own strength instead of looking at the strength of God. These guys in the letter to the Hebrews, they saw corruption and death all around them still. And do you know what the sin that so easily beset them was? They thought we're going to be sanctified from sin by performing the works of the law still, offering sacrifices still, doing baptisms still. That's how we're going to be sanctified. They were tempted by what they saw going on around them to continue to try to sanctify themselves from sin. That's why the author of Hebrews says, seeing we have such a great cloud of witnesses around us that testify of the Lord's ability to perfect us from sin. Let us lay aside that weight of trying to perfect ourselves from death. Let us lay aside the weight of trying to perfect ourselves from the injustices we've encountered in this world. Oh no, you know what I'm at, You know, subconsciously what I'm telling you is God's going to help you stay on the cross. And we don't want that because everything in us fight or flight, either fight to preserve our own life or run to preserve our own life. Everything in us feels that when we encounter injustice and tribulation, that's why it's the time of need. We're in need in that moment because we're being tempted with the sin that so easily besets us. That's why it so easily besets us because listen, man, We know we're supposed to have life, and if we encounter something that we think is taking life from us or could take life from us, we're immediately going to be filled with the idea that we're going to perfect our lives from that death. That's why it so easily besets us. It's a normal thought, if you're being nailed to a cross, to try to not be nailed to the cross. Isn't it? I mean, do I got to tell any of you guys that you don't want to be nailed to a cross? I mean, you just know, don't you? Well, what about Jesus? Jesus. You think he didn't know that there was pain involved at that cross? You know what the sin that tried to so easily beset Jesus was? To take up the weight of preserving his life from death. Take up the weight of preserving his own life, perfecting his own life from the injustice that was going to come upon him at the cross. That was his time of need. When he's sweating blood, that was his time of need. What was he being tempted with? Not going to the cross avoiding the cross right and it's an easy thought to think i'm not going to that cross like nobody had to help you to think that you know what i'm saying like if i send you a letter and tell you man friday's coming and that's the cross for you listen you're gonna feel fight or flight you either gonna get all your biggest baddest friends to fight the people or you're gonna run (laughs) right and be nowhere to be found but jesus didn't take up the sword there right so that's the, that's the time of need. And what we need in those moments or the comfort that we need when we're being afflicted by the tribulation and the injustice, the strength that we need when we're beset with the weakness that comes when we encounter corruption, all those things are contained in God's presence. And so God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us to come to him by ourselves. He draws us to himself is what he does, right? He draws us to himself, right? So Hebrews chapter five, verse one says, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion? Let's talk about the high priest. Notice how it says the high priest can have compassion on the ignorant, those that don't know, and on them that are out of the way, that have just walked out of the way. And the reason he can have compassion for them is that he himself is compassed with the same infirmity that they are. In order to be the high priest, you had to experience the same weakness as the people experienced. You had to be intimately acquainted with what hurts them. You have to be intimately acquainted with what torments them. You have to be intimately acquainted with everything they feel, everything they hear, all the voices they hear, all the weakness they feel, all the pain they feel, all the hurt they feel. You got to be intimately acquainted with what's going on in them, with what's tormenting them, and how it's tormenting them. Otherwise, you could never make an offering that could save them from what's tormenting them. You wouldn't know, you'd have no clue. And so when you think of the high priest, guys, I know we live in a society that when we think of a priest, immediately we think of all these crazy garbs, right? A strange hat, a thing around the neck. We got all this crazy stuff going on. But a priest, the idea of a priest, this is really what it's supposed to be. Try and remove all the religiosity that came in. A high priest is supposed to be a minister of things pertaining to God. And they're supposed to be a minister to the people of God himself. And what I want to say is, is a priest is someone that ministers God to the people. And the way they minister God to the people is they show the people God's heart. They show the people what's in God's heart. They reveal the thoughts and intents of God himself to the people. That's what makes them a high priest. That's what a priest actually is supposed to be. It talks about how Israel was supposed to be priests to the world. And the reason they weren't priests to the world is because they didn't know God. Well, you can't be a priest to the world because how can you minister God to the world if you don't know God? And so the, the Israelites weren't ministering to the Gentiles that God's heart is filled with love and compassion for them, that he's heard their grief and their cries, and that he's with them to save them from sin and death. They didn't minister that to the Gentiles. You know what they ministered to the Gentiles? God hates you. <laughs> well, that's not ministering God, right? Right. They, what they ministered to the Gentiles is we, the special people of God, and you not, <laughs> right? Well, you're not ministering God to people because you're not putting God's heart on display in that place, right? And so the, the, the idea there would be that the high priest was filled with compassion for the people. And the reason they were filled with compassion for the people is because they were compassed about with the same weakness and the same affliction as the people. The high priest was intimately acquainted with what hurts the people. And like I said, that's how they're able to make an offering that could help the people in their affliction. And some of you might be thinking, well, what do you mean? How did Jesus then make an offering that could help the people in their affliction? Do You know how Jesus made an offering that could help us in our affliction? Is he saw that God's eyes were filled with mercy towards him when he was dead on the cross, dying in sin. And he saw that the grace that he needed to overcome death was contained in the eyes of the Lord. He saw that the Father's heart was filled with compassion towards him when he was dying on the cross. And so you know what he did? He offered himself to the Father. Into your hands I commit my life. He made an offering that could help us in our time of need because he revealed to us that the Father is filled with compassion towards us. So when we find ourselves being nailed to the cross by the world, what can happen is is we can find ourselves looking to the Father. We could find ourselves crying out to the Father. We could find ourselves coming to the Father in our time of need. Because what do we see about this guy, Jesus, who was our high priest? He came to the Father in his time of need. When he was beset with weakness, when the injustice in the world came upon him at the cross because make no mistake about it the cross is the most unjust thing that could happen to a person who had no sin cursed is a man that's nailed to a tree and so here's a man who knew no sin who had no sin who took a curse upon him now in that place of weakness he made an offering he offered his life himself to the father and then we all see that in our time of need when we're beset by weakness Well, this guy, Jesus, he would only offer himself to the Father. He would only commit his life into the hands of the Father if he thought the Father was full of compassion towards him, if he thought the Father was full of mercy towards him, if he thought that there was grace for him to overcome this weakness in the Father. That's the only reason why he would do that. And so that tells us that there's comfort for us when we're being afflicted in the Father. When you're being afflicted, you know what you need? The mercy of God. When you're being afflicted, do you know what you need? You need the comfort of God. When you're being afflicted, do you know what you need? The grace of God. Jesus showed us all those things that we need when we're beset by weakness and the sin that so easily comes to us. We, he knows we need that and we see in Jesus that's where those things are found. You guys following that? Glory to God. And so this part is easy for us to see. We, we, we can all see easily that Jesus was intimately acquainted with our suffering, right? With what hurts us. It's easy for us to see that because we see him nailed to a tree. And if you hadn't seen your own life in the face of Jesus yet, I, I want you to start doing that. It's not just this guy, Jesus, was nailed to the cross. Jesus is the son of man, it says. That means he's an image of you. And so the reason Jesus was nailed to the cross And the reason he experienced all those things he experienced is because that's what we experience. You've all been nailed to a cross by the world. You've all felt the same things Jesus felt. That same weakness, we're all intimately acquainted with it. So Jesus tasted the death and the tribulation that torments all of us. When we encounter death and tribulation, we feel tormented. He was beaten and bruised by the same death that we're beaten and bruised by. He knows exactly what it's like to experience death and tribulation in his body, and he knows exactly what it's like for that death to come to his emotions. He's not far away from that. He's got, like, firsthand knowledge of everything we go through. He knows what it's like to experience that. He put on our body of death. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He put on the perishable flesh we were clothed in. Peter says that Jesus was put to death in the flesh. And so he felt not just the weakness, but when you feel weakness, you know what else you feel? Confusion. You start to hear the voices swirling all around you. Jesus heard the same voices. You know what the voices sound like? Where's your God now? If you really are his child, let him come for you. We've all heard the same voices. Well, we see in Jesus, he heard the same thing. He knows. He knows what we've been through. He knows. And so Jesus felt that same fear pressing in on him that presses in on us. He heard the same voices that we hear when we see the fruit of death in our lives. He sweat blood at the thought of the cross. Ever felt like you were sweating blood? I have. When we first started this church, every day, I thought I was sweating blood and that I was going to (laughs) die. I'm just being honest. And you know what I needed? I needed mercy and grace because that was my time of need. And do you know where I found that mercy and grace? I found that mercy and grace by seeing myself in the face of Jesus. And I saw this guy knows. And that brought me to him. Right? Now that sounds nice and it is all nice, but there's another caveat to that through you seeing yourself in the face of Jesus and you seeing this guy knows, that opens you up where you come to him when you're encompassed with weakness and you start talking with Jesus. Well, man, when God first showed me that, hallelujah, that was awesome. I found great strength in my time of need. But then he built on that further because you know at the beginning of Hebrews, do you know what it says about Jesus? What it says about Jesus in Hebrews 1? He's the express image of God. Do you know what that means? He's God. Do you know what Colossians 1 says about Jesus? He's the image of the invisible God. The beginning of all creation. That which created all things. Jesus says himself in John's gospel, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we're not just supposed to see that this man Jesus knows. We're not just supposed to see that this guy, Jesus, is intimately acquainted with what hurts us. He knows what it's like to hear the voices, to feel the fear pressing in on him. He knows what it's like to deal with our emotions when death manifests in him. We're not just supposed to see that about this guy, Jesus. We're supposed to see that about Jesus, and that's supposed to direct us to God. And we're supposed to see God is intimately acquainted with what hurts us. We're supposed to see that God has felt the same pain and suffering that we feel. You see, because we don't think God could feel that. We have this idea of almighty God and God is almighty, but I think our definition of almighty God is a little bit different than his. And so we struggle to see that God knows. In fact, we think God sees us in that place when we're being nailed to a tree, when we're feeling weakness, and we think God thinks what's wrong with them? Why won't they just be strong? We think he despises us because of what's going on. When we're squirm, ever squirm, try to get off the cross? Listen, I think I come off the cross more than anybody in the history of human beings before the Lord finally strengthened me not to come down. And I know I've said it a million times, but I'll be thankful, not just to the day I die, because that's what a person says that is temporal. I'm eternal and I'll be thankful for all eternity because right before the last time where I was trying to come down off the cross and man, I might have. This brother Jim over here comes and discern my life for me and says, I'm not going to take you down off that cross. And immediately I had eyes to see what was happening. You know, immediately what happened inside of me is I remembered what Jesus did when he was on the cross. And I remembered that Jesus didn't try to keep himself on the cross. I remember that Jesus didn't despise himself for weakness. I remember Jesus saw mercy in the Father's eyes. He saw compassionate kindness in the Father when he was nailed to the tree. And instead of coming down off the cross this time, do you know what I did? Abba. You know what I found? Comfort for my affliction. Grace. Strength for my weakness. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, in the midst of having felt all weakness while I was being nailed to the cross, all of a sudden, I felt all strength manifest inside of me and I gave up the ghost. I laid down the life that I had from the world. And that's the place where real life was born in me, right? And so when you see all these things about Jesus, like we can, Jesus sweat blood. We see the pain of him on the cross. We go and watch the passion. We weep. Do you know why we weep? Because we know what that feels like. And we're like, my goodness, look what's happening to this guy. Well, the, one of the things about him being the high priest is he leads you to the place where you don't just see that he's full of compassion because he tasted what you tasted. He leads you to the place where you see God is full of compassion because he's God and God himself tasted the death you tasted. God himself. God put on your skin suit and tasted death. It's not just a man that sweat blood. That's God almighty. And so give yourself some grace, man, because when God Almighty encountered what you deal with every day, he sweat blood. And maybe you aren't as critical as I am, but I was on my rear end for always feeling this. And I remember when God showed me, hey, Greg, you know how you're despising yourself for feeling weakness? I sweat blood when I put on a body that was perishable and I felt the infirmity that comes from being clothed in a perishable body. And when I was surrounded by the death that's in the world that you're in, and my perishable body felt the effects of what you feel every day, I sweat blood, Greg. God sweat blood. God himself felt the weakness in that body. God himself felt the the fear the fear wasn't conceived in him but he felt the weight of the fear that could come upon a person it's not secondhand we don't tell god about the fear we feel and try and explain it to him we tell god about the fear we feel and he shows us his hands and he says i know and so listen when we see god himself God Almighty, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Mighty God seems inconsistent with sweating blood. But it isn't. I mean, when we see that he sweat blood when he encountered what we face in this world, it says something to us all. And do you know what it says to us? He knows. Immediately, we don't feel judged in his presence. You don't feel judged in the presence of someone that knows what you've lived through. You find a camaraderie. You find yourself opening your heart. You find yourself sharing with them your deepest insecurities and thoughts and fears and pain and confusion because you know they won't judge you. You know that they know. You know you're going to find understanding and compassion there. Man, when you see that about God, all of a sudden you realize this guy is intimately acquainted with what hurts me. This guy loves me. He's tasted everything that I've tasted that stands against my life. And it starts telling you that he's full of compassion for you when he finds you in weakness. And like I talked about in the Bible study, it's God becomes our support group. God is our support group. And I mean, why do people go to a support group? You guys ever wondered why people want to go to a support group? why is it that they want to go to a group that's a bunch of people that they don't even necessarily know i mean they got their friends that people in their life but they they're not they're not so comfortable there well they're going to go find a support group and the world encourages people to do that and so why do they do that the reason they go to a support group is because they don't think that they're going to be judged Do you know what they think they'll find or what they know they'll find at the support group compassion understanding they don't feel ashamed sharing their heart with those people because they think those people have walked in my shoes those people know what's happened to me those people know what can happen to a person that's encountered this they understand they won't condemn me for these things right That's why you go to a support group. You know, no one's going to despise you for your weakness. No one's going to be ashamed of you. No one's going to make you feel ashamed because of what you did or what happened to you because they've walked in your shoes. Hey, glory to God, man. And Brother Jim has done so many things for my life. This great example he tells of being in Bible college, and I hope you don't mind that I share, but you shared it publicly. But in, in seminary, they would bus all the students to uh, the French Quarter to try to evangelize people during Mardi Gras and dear brother Jim here found what was like a a homeless guy that was down on his luck meaning that he was in New Orleans drinking himself to death every day and Jim sat down and tried to tell that guy about Jesus like a good little seminary student because that's what he was told to do and it, it fits right in with the support group. And how people don't want to hear from somebody unless they've walked in their shoes. And they don't want to open up to somebody unless they don't want to let you in. We know what that guy said to Jim when Jim just started innocently trying to tell him about Jesus. Come and live with me for a week. And then tell me about your Jesus. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, I'm sure. But that's the gist. Am I getting it right? See, that guy didn't want to hear anything Jim had to say unless Jim was going to walk in his shoes. He didn't care what advice he had to offer because I don't want to hear from somebody that isn't intimately acquainted with what hurts me. How can you say you love me if you don't know what hurts me? How can I even believe you care about my life if you haven't lived with me? And so God himself has walked in your shoes. And you won't hear from God or even be able to receive from God till you see that. He can get stuff to you. But I'm talking about a stability that will permeate your being as you walk in this earth. And so he's busy trying to show you he has walked in your shoes. He does understand and he does not despise you for your weakness. He does not despise you for the things you've done because of the fear of death. He doesn't despise you for wanting life. He doesn't despise you for trying to come down off the cross. And that's really what it is. The sin that so easily besets all of us is wanting to come down off the cross. And when we try to come down off the cross, which is we try to enlist our own hand to perfect our lives from death, do you know what comes out of that place? The fruit of death, the works of the flesh. And so God doesn't judge us for the works of the flesh. He sees what's really going on is we're coming down off the cross. He sees that we're not able to just be at rest while we're being nailed to a tree. He doesn't despise you for trying to get down when the world is crucifying you guys. Why do you think he came into the world and let the world crucify him? <laughs> I was a lifeguard. A lifeguard doesn't despise the drowning person for flailing. And I promise you, you get an elbow to the face. You get hit, you, you, you're, gonna, you're probably going to end up bleeding. And they don't just do that, but they start trying to like push you under because they're dying and they're trying not to die. And so all they you're like the the life vest. And so they're just like, you're like a buoy. They think I'm just going to press them down and I'll float on them. A lifeguard doesn't despise someone doing that. Do you know why? Because they understand that person is just fighting to live and not die. That's really what's going on, guys, when God sees us with the works of the flesh coming out of us. When we were nailing God. I mean, God just came to love us and to save us. And then we nailed him to a cross. And do you know what he saw? People fighting to live and not die. That's how he judged what was going on there. Right? And so just ask yourself for a second. Do you think God despises you for trying to come down off the cross? Or do you think it makes sense to him why you would want to do that? You think he didn't hear the voice telling him to come down off the cross to prove who he was? You think he didn't feel the weakness in his body? You think he didn't feel all that? So do you think he understands or do you think he judges you? I mean, God never created you to experience death. You know what else God knows? This will mess people up. But God knows you don't have the ability to resist death in the flesh. He knows he's the only one who possesses the strength to resist sin and death in the flesh. He doesn't expect you to be able to stay up on the cross. Why do you think he came and got up on the cross? If he thought you could stay up on the cross, he would have just told you, stay on the cross. And so he knows that he's the only one who can resist sin and death in the flesh. So do you know what he does? He draws us to himself. And do you know how he draws us to himself? He shows us that he's full of compassion for us when we're beset with sin. And the way he does that is by showing us he's felt the same thing. He knows. And what that does is it draws us to himself. He shows us his hands. He shows us the nail marks in his hands. He shows us the piercing in his side. And he he looks us in the eyes in that place. You know what he says to us? Me too. I know. I know that feeling of trying. I don't, the cross is evil. I know that feeling of death. And you see the compassion in my eyes right now? That's what we see in his eyes when he shows us that he knows and that he himself has felt that. And what happens is, is that brings us close to him, right? Because we see that there's there's like comfort. There's understanding. There's compassion. There's a big gigantic hug in this guy's presence. And when we get there, There's grace for us in our time of need. There's strength. And I promise you, you're not coming to someone if you don't think they're intimately acquainted with what hurts you. That's when you're off isolated in the corner by yourself. Because you don't think you're getting a warm embrace. You think you're getting worldly chastisement, right? Does that make any sense? You guys following that? Maybe all you guys aren't like this, but just to give you a personal example. In the past, I despised myself for weakness. And that's one of the things that kept me from coming to God. I I thought that the weakness was a sign that something was wrong with me and that something was wrong with God. Well, if something's wrong with me and something's wrong with God, those are the only two people in the room. And so I ain't coming to him. And I am not at peace with myself. And if you ain't at peace with yourself and you don't think he's at peace with what you're going through, you ain't coming to him. And so that left me isolated and alone because I despised myself for this feeling of weakness. I thought the weakness was a sign God was far from me because I assumed that God could never feel this weakness. And so if I feel this weakness, it must mean he isn't here. And if he isn't here, we know he could be anywhere. And if he isn't here, that must mean he's despising me for this weakness also. And then I would feel isolated and alone, right? But listen, there's grace for you. There was grace for me. There's grace for us in identifying with God in our weakness. If you can see yourself in the face of Almighty God, when you're beset with weakness and you could see he's felt the same thing that you're feeling. Listen, man, what happens is it's like a sharp two edged sword and it discerns your hearts and it tells you that the weakness you're feeling is not a sign. God is far from you. It's not a sign that life is far from you. It's not a sign that your life is being overcome. Do You know what it's a sign of death isn't right and you feel it that's the weakness this body feels it's that death isn't right and this body feels that it isn't right and when it comes upon this body we feel it's not right that's the weakness that comes well there's strength in a life that overcomes death in the flesh but if you ain't coming to the guy who has a life that overcomes death in the flesh if you don't see he knows and you don't see he's intimately acquainted with that weakness you feel. And that he doesn't despise you, but that he's a compassionate high priest. That's when you come running up in that daddy's lap. Abba! Like Jesus. Jesus said, and let's, let the, don't suffer the children not to come sit in my lap. The children were coming to get in Jesus' lap. Jesus is God. When Jesus was showing us the Son of Man on the cross, when he cried out, Abba, do you know what he did? He became as a little child. He didn't take thought of his own life, but he saw the father took thought of his life, and that was Jesus running and jumping in the lap of Abba. Why? Because he saw compassion. Mm. Glory to God. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. That word are is italicized. It ain't really there. I could say that that's the author and finisher of my faith. But apart from me, he's still the author and finisher of faith itself. That's the point it's trying to make looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do you run the race? How do you lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us? How do you do that? Because it tells you right there, do you do it by gritting your teeth? Do you do it by your willpower? Do you do it by your own strength? Do you do it with all your praise and worship? Do you do it with the money you give at church? Do you do it with all the service you perform at church? Is that how it says that you do it? What does it say? Looking unto Jesus. See how that's a passive action? <laughs> Looking unto the faith that was revealed in Jesus. It goes on for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest you be wearied and faint in your own minds. You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Do you know who has resisted unto blood, striving against sin? Jesus. What's the heavy weight that so easily besets us? Wanting to perfect our lives from sin. That's striving against sin. I was telling Dave on the way here that we're all busy with some form of death management. We're all busy with some form of trying to perfect our lives from the death that's in the world or the corruption that's in the world. (laughs) That's what we're all busy with. Well, the author of Hebrews would come in here and say, you have not strived against sin unto blood. What he's saying is you can't manage death. You can't perfect death. You can't perfect your life from the corruption and the tribulation you see. God's the only one who could do that. Consider him, because he has warred against sin unto his blood being poured out. You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So the sin that so easily besets us, which is how we one of the things we began speaking about. The sin that so easily besets us is unbelief. That's the sin that the letter to Hebrews is talking about. Hebrews 4 says the children of Israel didn't enter the promised land. They didn't enter God's rest, even though the work had been finished from before the foundation of the world. And it says the reason they didn't enter in was because of unbelief. That's what it says. You can go and read it. So our time of need is when we're being tempted with unbelief. That's when our time of need is. Now, guys, when I'm talking about unbelief, the context of unbelief isn't just talking about obtaining eternal salvation. It's not talking about unbelief that Jesus is the Messiah. It's not talking about unbelief that Jesus is the son of God. It's not talking about unbelief that Jesus was sent by God or unbelief in the historical events that Jesus died on the cross and he was raised from the dead. But do you know what it is talking about, that unbelief? Unbelief that God is with us? Ever thought God wasn't with you? That's the sin that so easily besets us. Did you have to work hard to think God wasn't with you or did it just come upon you like a thief in the night? Were you like walking along thinking God's great, everything's great, hunky-dory, loo-loo, skip to my loo, loo-loo, skip to my loo? And then all of a sudden, bam, where's God? It so easily besets us. So the unbelief that so easily besets us is unbelief that God's with us, having already sanctified our lives from death. It's unbelief that God has already cleansed us from the death that's in the world. Unbelief that he's already perfected us from the injustice in the world. Unbelief that he's already given us a spotless and life without blemish. Why do you think the Hebrews were still performing animal sacrifices and baptisms and cleansing? Because they were in unbelief that God had already perfected them from sin and death. And so the unbelief that so easily besets us as we walk around in this world, we see the tribulation, we see the corruption in this world, we see the injustices in this world, and we see the life that's in this world is full of spots and blemishes. And those things are tempting us to believe that our life is full of spots and blemishes and that we need to now take up the weight of perfecting our life from death. That's the sin that so easily besets us. We lose sight of the lamb God provided to perfect us from sin and death. We lose sight of the fact that he hath cleansed us from the wound of death that sin was serving us with. That's why you feel so upset. If you go to the doctor and get a bad report, they slap that x-ray up on the thing and they show you the spot. Everybody feels it. You know what you're feeling? weakness because you think your life is being corrupted by sin and make no mistake about it cancer is a sin well we don't despise anybody for having a cancer do we well that's what it means to be beset by sin afflicted we see that spot and it's trying to tell us your life hasn't been perfected your life hasn't been sanctified You haven't been delivered from death. You don't have an incorruptible life. Look! (laughs) Does that make sense? You guys seeing this dynamic, the sin that so easily besets us? It's real easy to think your life is being overcome. You go to the doctor and they slap that x-ray up on the thing and push the lights through it. And you look at that and you see the spot. It's real. You don't need no help to think your life is being overcome. You don't need no help to think how could this be happening. You don't need any help to think where's God now. That's the sin that so easily besets us. We're being tempted in that day to try to take up our own life. We're being tempted in that day to try to deliver ourselves from sin and death. We're being tempted to come down off the cross, right? That's the temptation common to man. They tempted Jesus to come down off the cross. What was nailing him to the cross? The world. What's the temptation that's common to you? The world has nailed you to the cross, and it's tempting you to come down. You need strength not to come down. In fact, it's impossible for you not to come down. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. You need help not to come down. You ain't staying up there on your own. <laughs> the author of Hebrews chapter 12, this is what he says. I'm going to put it in paraphrase it so we can see. It's like the message Bible. When you are in your time of need, when you are compassed about with weakness, when you see your life and you are seeing spots and blemishes in the life you have from the world, And you're being tempted to take up your own life. Don't consider your own strength. Thinking that you can perfect yourself from the sin and death that's in the world. You have not resisted sin unto blood. Striving against sin. Consider Jesus who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Consider the one who did resist death in the flesh, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind in the day of temptation. You guys following what he's saying there? We fight or, flight or, or fight. Right? It's the whole fight or fight or flight thing that when we encounter those things we're tempted to look at our strength to perfect ourselves from what's wrong the author of Hebrews is saying that's the day of temptation do not consider yourself this is the reason why we're not going to consider our strength he says because we have not strove against sin fought against sin unto blood We have not endured the contradiction of sinners against ourselves. Looking unto Jesus, right? Because he did. That's where we're going to find the strength to be put to rest even while the world is nailing us to the cross. That's where we're going to find the strength and the grace that we need when our perishable bodies feel weakness. Right? So consider Jesus that he says. is what the author of Hebrews says there. You know, God's the only one who can resist sin. God's the only one who can resist sin. He's the only one not coming down off the cross. God doesn't even expect you to be able to resist sin on your own. Once death entered, he knew. He knew he's the only one who could resist sin. He knew he's the only one not coming down off the cross. He knows he's the only one who can resist death. And that's what we ought to think of when we think of resisting sin. Because that would really help us to understand what we're dealing with. And it would really help us to understand that we can't resist sin. The resisting of sin is the resisting of death. The wages of sin is death. So when we think of resisting sin, we ought to, sin, we ought to think of resisting death. Who can resist death in the flesh? Who is it that can be at rest when death manifests in their bodies? Who is it that can do that? We all real clear. I can't do that. We'll connect that to I can't resist sin then. You know what will immediately happen? Some people will say, well, then how are we going to find ourselves set free from sin if you say we can't resist sin? Do you know how we're going to find ourselves? We're going to find ourselves looking at the one who can resist sin. And then we're going to find him resisting sin in us. <laughs> That's why he's called Savior. He saves you from sin. He doesn't tell you save yourself from sin. <laughs> God's the only one who can be at rest in the presence of death coming upon him. He's the only one. Hebrews says Jesus was tempted in every way we were tempted, yet without sin. Jesus resisted sin on the cross. But you know what that looks like? He resisted death. That's why it says he strove against sin unto blood. He was striving against death. You know how you strive against death? This messes up the carnal mind. Because we think you strive against death by picking up the sword. Jesus strived against death by resting in the middle of it. (laughs) That's why his blood came out. And so Paul said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ on the cross striving against sin, even unto his blood being shed. God was in Christ resting even in the presence of death coming upon him. God's the only one who can rest when they're nailed to a cross. He's the only one. And so you don't try to resist sin. You don't try to rest. You look to the one who did resist. That's why it says looking unto Jesus. These guys were busy wanting to be perfected from sin and death in the letter to the Hebrews. And they were picking up the weight of perfecting their own lives from sin and death. So they were doing all these things to perfect their lives from the spots and blemishes, offering sacrifices, performing rituals, going to church services, doing all these things. And the author of Hebrews comes and says, listen, dude, you're in need of help, right? Because the sin that so easily besets us has come upon you. If you desire to be perfected from sin, if you desire to see your life overcome the injustices you see in this world, if you desire to find strength when you feel weakness because of all the calamity going on around you, man, looking unto Jesus, you have not strove against sin unto blood. (laughs) Oh... So the power to find the grace of God laboring in you. And the language is important because one way of saying something will cause you to try to do it yourself. Another way will put you squarely in the place when you're looking to God. The power to find the grace of God laboring in you. I said the grace of God will labor in you. God's not trying to get you to resist. He's asking you like a gentleman, can I come and resist in you? Will you let me resist in you? That's what he's asking you the power to find God laboring in you resisting sin on your behalf is found in looking unto Jesus the Alpha and Omega of faith the beginning and end of faith and you don't want to know how God resists sin in you do you know how he resists sin in you he shows you the gift that he has in his hand to give you in Jesus he shows you what he has for you in the resurrected Jesus seated at his right hand. He shows you the substance of everything you've ever desired for life in Jesus seated at his right hand. He shows you Jesus and he shows you the spotless life you've always wanted. He shows you Jesus and he shows you a life that's been cleansed from sin and death. He shows you Jesus and he shows you the justice from the world that your heart cries out for. He shows you Jesus and he shows you how he served you with the desire of your heart. He sets his glory before you. He shows you how he served you with the glorious life that you've always wanted. A life that's been perfected from sin. When you think of a life perfected from sin, it's a life perfected from death. God labors in you resisting sin for you by showing you a life that's perfected for death. And by showing you how he gave it to you as a gift. And now your eyes are set on a perfect spotless life with no blemish on it. And you see that's what the father has given me. That labors inside of you. It tells you your life has been perfected from death when the world nails you to a tree. And that fills you with strength in the midst of the weakness that your body feels because your body's still perishable. Mm. Like it says in the scriptures, for the glory set before Jesus, what does it say? His heart disesteemed the shame of the cross. His heart disesteemed the cross. Do you know why it disesteemed the cross? because he saw the perfect, spotless, unblemished life that his heart longed for when he was nailed to the tree. He saw that it's in the Father, and the Father's in him, and he's in the Father. And so that resisted in him. The revelation of Jesus resists sin in you. And what I want to say is, only eternal life can resist death. Only eternal life can resist death. And do you know how Jesus strove against sin even unto his blood? Again, it's striving against death. Do you know how he strove against death? Remember, how do you strive against death? You rest in its presence. You know how he rested in the presence of all death? He saw the eternal life that's without spot or blemish, and he saw that life is in me. That will perfect your conscience from the spots and blemishes that are there when you look at the life you have from the world and you see that life being overcome. Because it isn't just that you look at a life that you see in the world that has spots and blemishes, but your conscience becomes filled with spots and blemishes also. And you're needing your conscience to be perfected from a life that has corruption. And do you know how your conscience will be perfected from a life that has corruption? You behold eternal life. And so eternal life is the only thing that can resist death. Eternal life is the only thing that can be at rest in the presence of death. It's the only thing that can resist death. It's the only thing that can resist the temptation that comes from death. It's the only thing. The only thing that can resist the temptation that comes from death is if eternal life can dwell in the flesh that can die. And then that flesh that is dying can see the incorruptible seed abiding in it. And then that flesh that is dying is put to rest because the eternal life that is in them striving against death, perfecting the conscience from spots and blemishes, right? A whole lot of mouthfuls I just said. You want to go back and listen to that because we we. I don't want to say we redefined because you have something called revisionist history, where you go back and interpret history differently, um, but you're revising it back to what it was supposed to be to begin with because people corrupted it, right? When we think of striving against sin or resisting sin, we think about trying hard not to do something bad. The scriptures talk about resisting death. Striving to get sin would be to be at rest in the presence of death. Having manifested in your world. Well, none of us are going to do that. But we know, there's good news for us, though. We know the only one who can. And we know that he feels what we feel. And so that's the whole point. He's like, let me get these guys to come to the support group. Because if I can get them in this support group, I'm the only one that can resist that. And I'll give birth to myself inside of them, and I'll resist in them. Passive action, where we're beneficiaries of the work he does to resist in us. We're not resisting. We're not striving against sin unto our blood. He has, he is, he does, right? And then we find the strength of Almighty God manifesting in us perfecting our conscience from spots and blemishes, right? Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you, Father, that um, you haven't left us alone to sort through everything that was said here, but that you've given us of yourself, of your Holy Spirit, I just thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit could see into everyone's hearts and see every, what everyone needs. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you could connect the parts of this message that people need in their hearts. And they could find themselves experiencing your compassion and that they can find themselves being strengthened with your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you're not far from us in our time of need, but that you're there with us. You're there in us and you're there upholding our lives. Father, let our eyes be open to the fact of what you've done to uphold our lives, that you have upheld our lives. You are upholding our lives and you shall uphold our lives. Thank you, Father, for manifesting yourself in all of our lives. Amen. Glory to God. You guys are awesome. Thank you for letting me preach for so long.